are enjoying this new space, the second week. We're still kind of working out some of the, the bugs along the way, but we are really excited about this move uh, because we are committed to changing the landscape of our community. Those aren't just words. We want to put actions and uh, our, our money where our mouth is on that. And a part of that is kind of waking ourselves up to what God is doing in the world or what He wants you and I to do in the world because it's so easy to get lackluster about it. It's so easy to create apathy uh, in our life. And so uh, we've tried really hard to, to help you and your family uh, take some steps to wake yourself up out of that. So if you've in the past thought, man, I really want to be better about studying my Bible more, praying more, uh, just just living out my faith more, we we really wanted to do that. And so we encouraging you, uh, last week we started by uh, just memorizing a section of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, some of you, you may not be memorizers. That's okay. Uh, study along with us. We have a class that we just started this morning that's going along with that. So that would be uh, a blessing to you, I think. Or just joining in a house group. Uh, we have lots of them that are uh, restarting this year. And so I encourage you, uh, if you're not a part of one, let us know. We'd love to get you in one of those. And last week, as we kind of talked about you know, what does it look like? What do we, what do, we do here uh, at Wellhouse? As we say we're, we want to change the landscape, well, a part of that is, uh, as we walk through the, the Sermon on the Mount, is understanding that God calls us to be a city on a hill. And in fact, last week as we talked about that idea, we, we said that uh, you're called to be kind of a flashlight. You're a, a picture of God to the world around us. So what does that look like in your life? And here's the amazing thing about that, is that you are God's plan A to show Jesus to the world around you. It's you. Uh, and you may think, uh, you know, that's not... That's not really who I am. I'm not really a preacher. I'm not a memorizer of, of, of passages. I just, that's not, that's not who I am. But maybe it starts small. Maybe it starts with your Jesus to your family. Sometimes that can be a hard challenge. Sometimes it's, it's your Jesus to your next door neighbor. Or maybe there's just somebody that God has been putting in your path. You know, we've asked you for the last several months, every Monday morning at 7 a.m., so many of you have participated in this, to, to begin praying by saying, all right, God, put it on my heart that this would be something that I care about uh, is, is people who don't yet know you and give me the courage to be able to talk to them and share my story with them. We've, we've encouraged you to say, listen, you are God's plan A to be Jesus to the world, and we want you to participate in that, to truly be a, a city on a hill. Uh, several years ago, I think it was in 2006, I got to go for three weeks to Seattle, Washington. If you've ever been there before, it's really a beautiful place, uh, almost perpetually kind of overcast and uh, rains pretty frequently, can be a little bit chilly, but beyond that, it was such an awesome, unique, interesting place, lots to see, but I went there on kind of a, a, a mini mission. It was a part of the work that I was doing for 
my degree. And so we went there for a couple of weeks. We stayed for a week and we worked in the tent city. They would move around the homeless there in tent cities. And so we stayed there and we worked with the tent city for a week. And then we went for another week uh, and we worked in a orphanage uh, for kids who have AIDS. And we did that for a week. And then we spent another week working with a couple of other missions there. We only had just a few short days while we were there uh, to, to do sightseeing and some of the really cool stuff. We went down to the fish market. I was able to catch one of the fish, you know, that they throw at you. Uh, interesting time there. But one of the things that uh, I never thought I would really like uh, but, but actually blew me away uh, was this thing called the Tulip Festival. Now, I'll tell you, when I went on this trip, I went with two professors, both women, and then everybody else on my trip, all the, uh, the, the classmates, I had all women. So the night before, we were talking about what we we're going to do, and they're like, I think we should go to the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival. And all, before I could even object to any of that, all the ladies were like, oh, that sounds amazing. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm, there's... I'm going to this tulip festival. I mean, I just know I'm going to go. There's no way I'm going to get out of this thing, so I'm going to go. And uh, so we show up on the scene. Now, you can actually go online and check out pictures of this. Um, it's 500 acres of tulips. 500 acres. Um, yeah, that's just a fraction of what it looks like. And it was amazing. I, it's, it's one of the things that I've never forgotten. I didn't really want to go. Have you ever done that before? You're like, I don't really want to, don't really want to. Then you go and you're like, that's amazing. I don't know why I fought that so hard. And that's kind of how it was for me. I showed up and I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was just, there was so much time and intention and detail and all of that. And they were all sorted by colors and varieties. And I learned so many things there. And just everything was like in the right place. You could tell they had taken care of all of this and it's 500 acres. It's as far as you can see. I thought to myself, something like that doesn't just happen. I wonder how much work and effort and time and volunteers it takes. I wonder how much coordination happens that everything as you show up on the scene looks like so just a, a breathtaking. I wonder what kind of time goes into that. And I learned a long time ago that this truth that great things don't just happen. Great things are cultivated. Great things don't just happen. Great things are cultivated. If you are looking to get married or you already are married or you've been married for a while, let me just tell you, there may be a sense in which you think, I wish my marriage was great. And let me tell you, it's not just going to be great one day. Great things don't just happen. Great things are cultivated. If you, if you think to yourself, man, I'm not a memorizer of Scripture. That's just not something that I'm good at. Let me tell you that great things don't just happen. Great things are cultivated. That's true of in, in every area of life. And it can be true of our spiritual life as well. 
that great things don't just happen. Oh, God is great and He'll do amazing things. But oftentimes what I see, because I see it in myself and maybe it's true for you too, is that we want God to do a work through us. We want God to do great things through us. Very rarely do we want God to do a work in us. It would be great to be a part of a church or a group of people where we say, man, God is doing some amazing things. And the question that we have to ask ourselves before that is, are we willing to allow God to do some crazy things in us? Are we willing to allow him to refine us in ways? Or we simply just want God to do an amazing work through us. See, great things don't just happen. Great things are cultivated. And this is true even in the life of Jesus. He demonstrates this for us. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 1. I'm so grateful for the Bible text because it gives us little stories that seem like they're nothing. And then you stop and reflect on them for a little bit and you realize how much depth there is there. And this is the same with this story. It happened at the end of Mark chapter 1 and it seems like nothing. But man, is it such a lesson for us and God doing something in us before he does something through us. Jesus has spent... Uh, as we read in the previous text, I was trying to figure out a way to include everything in today, and I just didn't have a great segue to be able to do that. But Jesus is done. He has been all day long doing miracles and helping people. And he's done that for the bulk of the day, what we read through the text. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 32. He says, uh, it says, That evening... After the sunset, so it's been a long day, now the sun is setting, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. He's already been working all day, and now that evening is here. I don't know about you, but I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. You know, this morning I was up at 4.45, and my brain was like, all right, let's get on it. Let's do this thing. But by 6 p.m., it's downward slope. Like, I'm like, when can I get to bed? That's just how it is. But here it is. It's evening time, and this is where the, this is where all the people are like, all right, perfect, good. Now we're going to bring you all, not just, not just people who have a little issue. They have a little marital squabble going on. It says that all the sick, oh, and the demon-possessed, the people that nobody want to be around, all the big problems come and they show up on the doorstep. And just so you're aware of what kind of uh, things are happening, look at the next verse. The whole town gathered at the door. It's not just one or two people that Jesus can say, all right, I'll heal you, i heal you. All right, now, now it's to bedtime. Everybody from the town is surrounded, and they're outside the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Then... Watch what happens next. I don't know about you, before you read on. I don't know about you. But after a long day, I had this happen the other day, Friday. After a long day, 
and you worked way till, till you, it was past closing time, right? It was past your prime hour, and you think to yourself, tomorrow morning, I'm going to sleep in, right? Tomorrow morning, I'm just going to, co- it's cold outside, I'm just going to pull the covers up, I'm going to sleep in, I'm going to enjoy a day off, because guess what? Yesterday, the whole town showed up, and I healed everybody. So tomorrow is a little bit of me time. Listen to what the text says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, while everybody else was sleeping, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Do you wonder why? Like, it's Jesus. I mean, how much better can you get, you know? It's the Son of God. He never made a mistake. He had no issues. I mean, he's the perfect Lamb of God. He just healed everybody. He deserves a little bit of downtime. Unless he's some kind of weird robot, I would think he'd be tired at this point. And yet, very early in the morning, while everybody else is still sleeping, he gets up. And he goes to pray. And I wonder if in this small section of Scripture, Jesus is teaching us something. I wonder if he's teaching us something about what we need in our life. Here's what I've found to be true is that in my life, if I don't schedule things out, my time just seems to disappear. And it's the next week, and it's the next week, and it's the next week. And I'm like, I never did get around to that thing that I wanted to do. How many of you have a project that you've been waiting for months or years to do because it's just like you just never seem to get around to it? And I think Jesus knows this about our character And so he shows us what it means to put in place or to invest routinely in our spiritual development. Because if you don't routinely invest in your spiritual development, you will not see growth. You just won't see it. And so Jesus, even though he spent and even though he he has every reason to kind of sleep in and do whatever he wants, he has a, a routine where he invests time with the Father. And how do we know this? Because later on in the, the Gospel of John, he, he as he's kind of getting ready to leave his disciples, he tells them this, everything I tell you is from my Father. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I... Spend time with my father. I I routinely go away and spend time praying and talking to him. And that's how I know that. And so I wonder in your life as we look at this idea of great things don't happen. They're cultivated. What does that look like in your life? How do you routinely invest in your spiritual development? See, It's one thing to say, I want God to do something great in the world around me. I want God to do something great through me. But the question comes back to, do you want God to do something great in you? And if you want that, then it takes an investment. It takes time. I'm always looking for ways with six kids. Uh and a job, 
and a life to figure out how to do things a little quicker, a little more efficiently. And several years ago, this term uh, came out. It's called a life hack. How many of you have learned a few life hacks along the way? You may not call them that, but you figured out how to do things a little quicker, a little smoother. And what I want to let you know is that there is no life hack for allowing God to develop you. Like there's no three-step formula. I remember going to school, uh, my first master's degree, and, and one of the, the teachers there, our professor, was like, you know, you need to give, like, every, every time you preach a sermon, give, like, three steps to, you know, point one, point two, point three, because people can remember three things. I remember thinking, man, if it was that easy, right, if it were, e- if it were that easy, wouldn't that be great? But the truth of the matter is, is there's no life hack for allowing God to do something in you. Here's the other thing. Story's not over. This is what it says. Jesus is out praying. He's having that time alone with the Father. Verse 36. Simon, who by the way is one of the disciples, and his companions went out to look for him. They woke up finally and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? Let's go find him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Ever feel that way before? If you're a mom, I would guarantee it. There's time where it's like everybody has a plan for your time. This is where Jesus is. The people around Jesus were happy to dictate his direction. In fact, if you read the scripture through that lens, you'll see time and time again where they're trying to instruct Jesus on how to be a better savior. I fear we do that sometimes. Like, God, if you would only do this, right, it would be better because... There's no shortage of people who are happy to dictate a direction. They're always there. The kids are, your family is, work is, friends are. And here's the thing you have to decide is what is ultimately going to determine your direction. And Jesus knows the answer to this. Look at verse 38. He replies, let's go somewhere else. He spent time in there. There's still people looking. There's still people wanting to have him do more things. He says, to the nearby villages so I can preach there. That is why, that is why, that is why I have come. Allow your why to determine your direction. There's going to be so many other things that want to determine your direction in life of of how you spend your time and where you spend your time and how you spend your money and where you spend your money and, and how many things you get done during the day. But I'm here to tell you, you need to allow your why to determine your direction. Jesus gives us this example. He says, listen, there's people around me, man, they want to pull me in so many different directions, but I know why I've come. And that's what I'm going to do. Jesus' purpose was to let others know the gospel was in him. And it literally shaped everything he did. 
and it was not easy, and there was no life hack for it, and eventually, in the end, it killed him. So if you're looking for something easy to get involved in, it's not the gospel. Oh, it's good. But it is not safe. And it is not easy. See, last week as we talked about this idea of being a city on a hill, we talked about being light. And I'm convinced most, most people in most churches want this. They want to have an impact and a purpose. My guess is that you, in your life, you want to have an impact and a purpose. You want Wellhouse to have an impact and a purpose in the community. But the problem is, we want a hack for it. We want an easy way. We want things to just to kind of fall in line and happen really easy. And there's kind of no friction there. And there's, there, there's no backtracking every once in a while. You know how it is where you make a little progress and you have to take a few steps back. And, and, and life seems to get hard. We, we don't want that. We want it simple. We want it easy. We want it quick. We want no skin in the game. We want no friction we want no challenges. We want no obstacles. We would like for it to go the way that we see it. And I think what Jesus models in just a few short verses looks like a life that somewhat would, someone may say, man, that sounds exhausting. You went from solving everybody's problems all day long to getting up early and the next person you meet says, hey, everybody's still looking for you. And what do you do? We understand why you were made in the first place. You have a purpose. And you understand that if you don't tap into that every day, you will lose sight of it. Because that's just my nature and your nature. That we succumb to the things around us so quickly. We get so overwhelmed with all the things there are to do that oftentimes we begin to numb out. And that maybe before God does an amazing thing through you, He needs to change something in you. And the only way you're ever going to really know that is if you take time to invest in your spiritual growth. How do you do that? Well, there's no easy formula. There's no life hack for it. I've already said that. But I think Jesus does give us a few examples. And the first thing I've already mentioned is this, is that Jesus points back to his why. Have you ever asked yourself, what is, if somebody were to look at my life and the way that I designate my time and the way that I designate my talents, my gifts in life, and the way that I designate my money in life, would they know what my why is, what I'm living for? See, Jesus was very clear to those who followed him what he was in that for. And I want you to know disciples, that even though there's people who still want me to hang around here, and they probably, now that they know that I can solve this problem, they probably got some stuff at home, you know. They want me to do that too, but I came here so that people could know the gospel. So I want you to wrestle with this question this week. What is my mission in life? 
What's my why? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And would people know by watching the way that I spend my time and I spend my talents and I spend my money, would they know my why? Do I defend it? Another thing that I would say wrestle with is this, to, to resolve and then restructure your life. There was a song that I grew up singing in church. If you're my age or older, you might remember it. And the, the lyrics went like this. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. And I won't sing it for you because I want you to stick around. Some of you are leaving because you thought I was going to. That's not true. I'm kidding. That word resolved, it's a decision. It means you finally, you're like, all right, listen, this is it. This, this is what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not turning back from this. So once you decide what your why is, then you resolve it. You make the decision. Okay, listen, this is what I'm sold out for. This is what I'm doing with my life. And then you restructure your life around it. You say, okay, listen, if, if I want God to do something in me, then I have to change my everyday patterns of life. I have to change what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. So for some of you, it may be like, all right, the only option I have is I have to follow Jesus in his waking up early and spending quality time with him. For some of you, it might be, all right, listen, very last thing at night, the thing I need to reset my, my day with is to say, all right, God, what areas did you need me to do today? Can you help me do better tomorrow? That you carve out that time that you're willing to restructure your life around your why. The last thing that I think is important for us, I don't see this in the life of Jesus at all, but I think it's true for me and you, is that we oftentimes need to be prepared for a reset I don't know about you, but I have found many, many times in my life where I was going really strong on something. You know, it was like I was all in, I was committed, I was resolved, and then some things happened along the way. And some, some time or another along that path, I just became less resolved about it. And I kind of lost my way. And I needed to have a time of reset where I remembered what my purpose truly was. I pray that this year as we look at what God is going to do through Wellhouse, that you're as equally invested in what God is going to do in you. Because I want for us truly to change the landscape of our community. But before that happens, there may be something in you has been lingering for way too long. And before God can use you in that way, He needs to break you in a few others. He needs to refine you. He needs to soften your heart for some things. So I pray that you'll commit this year to allowing God to do a mighty work in you as He does a mighty work through us. So, as we do, and as you look at your life and you figure out your why, why God created you and put you on this earth at this time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.
May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and presents you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who's unparalleled and unchanging, who's matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who's before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen.